Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200. You're about to hear a preview of Partially Examined Life supporter exclusive content. To learn how to get the whole thing, check out partiallyexaminedlife.com slash support. This is the Partially Examined Life episode 300, part three, no longer live. Did you get any comments on the live show? Friends and neighbors watched it. They enjoyed it. Oh, good. I think it was a good choice of text, which is why we want to spend a little more time with it. We have textual stuff to go over. We can do some relating of, I don't know, at some point I wanted to talk about the, as a phenomenology of artistic creation, which is clearly something he was concerned with, whether knowing too much history or being too consumed with the history makes as actually a creative block that I know that when I was a younger person, there's a certain bold ignorance, not comparing yourself as quickly to everything that has come before, such that you can actually not get constipated and just freaking create. And now it's just like, ah, I don't know. It's all been done. Yeah. It's also about, you know, the accumulation of all these different influences Mm -hmm. without being able to really use them, right. To make them have an outer effect. They just become a part of, you know, this inner outer distinction. Maybe the thing to talk about actually the inner outer distinction. I don't know that I completely understood it. Yeah. So, and, you know, again, when we think of history, we should be thinking about all these different influences. He's also thinking about education and cultural influence. And in the end, he'll he'll be thinking about part of his solution will be to kind of be artist historians to be able to make, you know, he'll talk about the architects of the future being the ones who have the right to interpret the past and all that stuff. So there's this relationship between being able to grow and move into the future and be creative and our comprehension of the past. But anyway, I think we left off at chapter four where he starts to get into some of the specific, right? He's gone over the three types of history and their pros and cons. And now this will get pretty decidedly negative. You know, he starts chapter four by saying every human being and every nation actually needs all these forms of knowledge of the past, but ultimately not as scholars. That's not the need, but in relation to our vital needs for the sake of the present, for the sake of the future. The problem is when we demand that history become a science and we put truth above life, then this kind of natural relationship that can exist between life and history is compromised. Yeah. And I was interested in this part of it because for him, making it a science is a proxy for fixing it you know, is a proxy for this sort of atrophy and effect on it. He says, all perspectives have been shifted back to the beginning of all becoming back to infinity. Such an immense spectacle as the science of universal becoming history now displays as never before been seen by any generation. For him, when you make history into a science, you are putting a fixed point on at the beginning of time and I think he would probably use a word like torturing. You torture the past to follow along that line. And then you also torture the future to be along that line. And so life loses its life source because it's just all one 
sequential turning of a crank. He doesn't put it this way, but he would say that all you've done with science, when you do that as an account of life, is you've given one particular thread through it of interpretation or a way of understanding our becoming and how our being now is the result of the past and how we became from that past. And it's only one of them. And to the extent that we fix that really, really tightly by making it a science, then we squeeze out the livingness. It's like a one model. If you do science speak, you'd say it's but one model for the way in which we got to where we are. Well, I think the crank is a good metaphor, right? Because the paradigmatic example of history as science for him is Hegel. And history is treated in that sense, he'll say later on, as an extension of evolution. And it is something like an inevitable natural process that we we pay less attention to great individuals and striving and freedom and things like that. And so, yeah, crank is good. It's just a deterministic machine under in, in that sense. You know, the question is, well, maybe it is that. So there's the object of science, but then there's also the scientific approach, which is like the scholarly approach as well, right? So it's not just about natural science, but it's about, you know, he'll say, we don't have culture, but we have knowledge of culture. This is also in chapter four that he'll say that specifically starting to think about Germany, I think. So it's like reading a philosophy, which he'll directly mention this, reading a philosophy with a view to living a philosophical life versus reading philosophy to acquire knowledge, to become a professional, to become a professor, and not even necessarily to be a writer of philosophy books, but to be a writer of scholarly articles about philosophy. He'll mention sort of the cycle of critique, of criticism, where someone writes about a philosopher and then they write, someone responds to that criticism and then to that criticism, and it becomes this kind of meta thing rather than its own creative act. I'm not actually seeing the fixity in the quote you read. It's the spectacle, right? We've never seen just a spectacle as this science of universal becoming. And I'm comparing it more toward actually when David Brin was on, he talked about, many people have talked about this, the fire hose, right? For us, it's the fire hose of the internet. And can we as a society handle just this glut of information just suddenly poured at us? And this, I think, is exactly what he's talking about. It's the glut of history that we're all expected to carry around. And so he talks in the next paragraph about we carry around like indigestible stones. 77, 78. Yeah, that we're not able, again, strangely, even though the internet comparison seems like a thoroughly modern thing, I guess people were worried about this information overload that too much of an emphasis that it's less a matter of the technology and more a matter of the emphasis on science, that we are, the emphasis on having all of this knowledge, all this history at our disposal. And so, in fact, that looks to me like if it were reducible to a single crank into a a single way of characterizing it, like that might actually be better for us because we could make sense of that, right? We could say the theme of history is the gradual greatening of whatever, but instead it's this mass of facts that we just can't even make sense of. Yeah, but I don't think that's what he's referring to. I think that in the mass of facts, he's referring to the activity of turning it into a unified theme that stultifies the actual living of things such that you don't do anything. I think you're both right here, right? Because 
when he talks about this science of becoming, I think in part he's talking about Hegel and he'll get more explicit about talking about Hegel later. But so it is the case that he's thinking about information and information glut, but that's related to a conception of history which is deterministic, right? And it's just a development over which we have no control and which great individuals don't really have that much of a say. They're more products of history than they are drivers of history. And the result of that conception of history is that we don't have enough monumental ingredient and so we're not inspired as much to do things and history no longer serves the purposes of action. And we are... Instead, just observers, we just sort of strolling through the museum of history and we use it to become, quote unquote, cultivated, but there's no vital interest in it. And then again, history is like education in, in general here. Everything we do to educate ourselves, is it vital? Does it mean something? Do we think we can add to it? Do we think we can do something new? Or are we just resigned to being at the end of history and, you know, strolling through the museum of the past? The analogy be like, to the extent that we, view the past as like a museum where we go through and we see all the great things that were done. But when you walk out of there, people aren't building the next airplane if they went to the Air and Space Museum or they're not going and painting the next great painting. They're not using even the study of the past to inform their activities of the future in their activities. They end up just talking about what was done before. I mean, that would be one symptom of it. I think that's right. He talks later in this chapter, moving forward, about the identification of education with historical education, right? And says we're kind of like walking encyclopedias. We're crammed full of the culture of other ages. And that's the kind of inner world exterior distinction begins to be made by him. And this is kind of a theme in Nietzsche, the importance of the exterior and of form and the supposedly superficial, which for Nietzsche, there's something profound in because it has something to do with the aesthetic. So he talks about the kind of neglected and even barbaric exterior that we have in contrast to this rich and cultured inner world of content. What he sets up as the alternative goal is a, he calls a unity of artistic style and the expression of the life of the people where this distinction between inner content and outer form would be eliminated, which would be the same thing as eliminating bogus cultivatedness. So when he talks about the outer, he's thinking about action partly, whereas the German of his time, he'll say they equate the outer with custom. It's arbitrary. It's like styles of dress. It's just something that is not ultimately important. And I think Nietzsche is actually saying that not just that art has to be connected to action, but it has to be connected to the daily life of human beings, including customs. It reminds me of some of the things that Scruton said about making connections between art and the way your apartment looks and things like that. If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminelife.com slash support. Thanks for listening.
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com/audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com/audio. That's carshield.com/audio.